Welcome to Fort Carolina. If you're new, I'm Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here, and it's so good to have Mike Snyder with us today. Please go back and, and meet him, and uh, you'll be blessed and sponsor a kid. Let's just pour out our generosity uh, on our, our Cabaret Haiti mission and the great work they're doing. But if you're new to our church, we love, as you could probably already tell, we just love helping people like you reach higher for the best life that God has for them. Jesus said he came to give you life and life more abundantly. And so thank you for being here today. And you're joining us kind of in the middle of a series called Sitting in a Tree. We came up with the idea from that old playground song you remember that, you know, Ricky and Donna sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in a baby carriage. And in this series, we've talked about the power of relationships. Uh, we've discussed the purpose of dating. Uh, last week, we looked at a picture of love out of 1 Corinthians 13. And today, as Matt said, we're going to talk about marriage. Then comes marriage. And to all of our singles today, I want you to understand something. We are glad that you're here as well. And I think sometimes it's important for us to realize that the scriptures and the principles of God's word that we discuss, while they may be on a topic like marriage, often apply to all of our relationships. So whether you're single and you're not married or you're single and you don't ever see yourself getting married or you're single and you're single again and you're not sure about marriage, you are still in the right place. And by the way, don't forget that the greatest person who ever lived was single. His name was Jesus. Because you're single doesn't mean you're less than. Jesus lived out the purpose of the Heavenly Father for his life, and that's what God wants you to do as well. Live out God's purpose in this stage of your life, whatever that may be. But we are going to talk about marriage today. And as you think about your wedding day, for those of you who are married, what comes to mind whenever you think about your wedding day. And men, I'm not talking about the honeymoon. I'm talking about the actual ceremony. Let's just keep it right there. Maybe whenever you think back to your wedding day, you think about how your best man almost passed out during the ceremony. He locked his knees, got nervous, and almost passed out. Or maybe whenever you think about your wedding day, you recall how the pastor almost dropped the ring. I've always told the couples I do weddings for, if you or I drop that ring, don't worry. Don't all dive down for it. I'll just say, let us pray, and I will go down, and I will get it. Maybe on your wedding day, you remember how nervous you were until you saw your soon-to-be husband or wife. And when you saw them for the first time, you were just overwhelmed with emotion. Maybe you remember during your ceremony that first kiss as husband and wife. Or perhaps the feeling of excitement whenever you were finally pronounced husband and wife and you got to march down that aisle and the ceremony was over and you are now husband and wife. Whenever Don and I were married 31 years ago, we were married on February 2nd, 1991. Whenever we chose that date, we weren't really thinking about the fact that it's also Groundhog Day. And one of the things I will always remember is standing out in the wings of the sanctuary of my church in Valdosta, Georgia, and my dad was my best man, and before we walked out, he said, now remind me again if she sees her shadow. What, what does that mean? I said, not the time for it, Dad. And then when we marched in, and I'm waiting for Donna to come down the aisle, my dad leaned over and whispered in my ear, son, you're about to make the last decision of your life. <laughs> Those are some of the things that I remember. Now, one thing that you probably don't remember are the vows that you took, because often 
the vows that we take in marriage, we think about prior to the ceremony, we think about during the ceremony, but then after the wedding, we don't really think about those marriage vows that we exchanged with one another. It's not that we forget that we took marriage vows, we just don't think about the promises that we made in that moment. And so today what I thought it would be fun to do is just remind you of those wedding vows. And if you're not married, but you're contemplating marriage, to inform you of what you're promising whenever you do get married. And it's more than just a promise. It's, it's actually a covenant. It's a commitment between you and your spouse and God. You're making these promises to God and before these witnesses, and you make those vows in a very solemn, serious way. Maybe you wrote your own vows, but for most of us, we had some form of the traditional wedding vows. They go something like this. I, Ricky, take thee, Donna, to be my lawful wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, so help me God. And then she exchanged a similar vow as well in our wedding ceremony. So you see, wedding vows are promises that hold the key to building strong and lasting relationships. And that's what we want to kind of talk about today as we revisit the wedding vows. And I want to base all of this in God's word because that's the foundation of everything we believe and how we ought to behave as followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to recognize the, these promises. But what we would say as followers of Jesus is we make these commitments in his presence and we need his power to, fill, to fulfill these promises. And so we hope that after this day is over, that if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, that you will invite him into your life. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 today. If you want to follow along, I'll, I'll put these scriptures and notes on the screen. They're also available to you on our website, fcbc.life. Uh, we do that every week. If you ever want to know where the notes are, they're on our website. And uh, I think you'll find this very helpful if you'll follow along with me with your own eyes from your own copy of God's Word. Whenever you're making a covenant to receive one another in marriage, you're making at least six promises. Promise number one is you are promising to receive your spouse willingly. You're promising to receive your spouse willingly. We, we hear that and we make that promise in those wedding vows when we say, I take thee. It's old English. I take you to be my lawful, not awful, my lawful wedded wife or my lawful wedded husband. You're making the promise to receive your spouse willingly. And if you have any spiritual sensitivity whatsoever, you are receiving your spouse not just from their family. Because, you know, in that moment, uh, the, the two families are typically represented in some way. Uh, there may be even a moment in the ceremony when the, the officiant will ask, who gives this woman to be married to this man? But I've always been very intentional to word it this way. Who then, in the name of our Heavenly Father, gives this woman to be married to this man? Because I believe that God is the one that brings these two together. And that the promises you're making 
begins with receiving your spouse willingly as a gift to you from God. Now here's why I say that. Genesis chapter 2, let's, let's begin with verse 18. This is the creation account. God's created all the world. He's created the animals and he's created Adam, the first man. And the Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 20, or verse 19, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now think about this picture for a moment. God has created Adam, and yet he's not created Eve yet. He has not created a woman for Adam. And God knows it's not good for Adam to be alone because God's the one who wired him for companionship and And Adam's destiny is dependent on having someone in his life to help him fulfill the plan and the purpose that God has for his life. So God knows this, but Adam doesn't, and God wants to reveal this need in Adam. So God delegates to Adam the authority to name the creatures that God has made. God's God's God. He's the creator. It's his prerogative to name his creation. But man is God's representative on earth. And so he delegates that to Adam. And so Adam is there naming the creatures. We don't know what he named them. But perhaps he sees this blue feathery creature flying around and he says, Blue Jay. Maybe he sees this four-footed beast chewing its cud as it eats the grass and he calls it a cow. We don't know what he called them. But we know this, somehow Adam begins to realize for Mr. Blue Jay, there's a Miss Blue Jay. For Mr. Cal, well, never mind, um, don't ever, yeah, but, but he recognizes there's, there's no one like him, that he's all alone, that they have companions, they have other creatures like them, but there's no one like Adam. And God already knew this. God was wanting Adam to recognize this need for companionship in his life so that Adam would look to God to meet that need. That's why the old country song says, don't go looking for love in all the wrong places. God is the one who wanted to meet that need in Adam's life. And verse 21, we read, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Do you see now why I will sometimes, or not sometimes, always ask who then in the name of our Heavenly Father gives this woman to be married to this man? Because it was God who brought Eve to Adam. It was God who was working this whole thing out. Verse 23, I love this. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam is excited. He's literally beside himself with excitement. Some of you will get that on the way home. That's a bad preacher joke. But God created Eve from a part of Adam. It was a marriage that is reuniting two that belong together. And the woman was created equal to Adam, but different from Adam. 
And Adam recognizes this difference. Viva la difference. He recognizes it, and he is so excited. He claims, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of the man. We, we catch what he says in the original language, even in the English language. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. And so it's a play on words here. It's a poetic expression. God, you've put someone in my life who fits me, who, who is compatible to me, who, who helps me, who completes me. You complete me. And he gives God praise for her. Listen, one of the first things we do in our wedding day is we recognize we are to receive our spouse as a gift to us from God. And one thing that I have to do from time to time when I do marriage counseling, and I use that word counseling very loosely. I'm not a trained counselor. I'm a pastor. And I'm going to take you to God's word. I'm going to pray with you. Um, and we have a licensed counselor who's awesome. But some things, I, sometimes I have to slow people down when they're having some troubles in their marriage. And listen, if you've never had trouble in your marriage, you haven't been married long. There's no perfect marriage. We all have good days, bad days. We all have times we agree, times we disagree. Um, but sometimes I have to just stop a couple and say, let's stop talking about the problem that you guys are dealing with for a moment. We'll get to that. But just tell me your story again. How did you guys meet? Tell me your story again. What attracted you to each other? Tell me again, what were those top two or three things that really drew you to this other person? Describe to me what it's like when it's good. What is your relationship like when, it, when it's good? What is it you see in this other person that is good? And whenever you do that, it's amazing how the people's eyes will light up and they go back and they recognize that they do have a lot of good and that God was at work in their relationship. And they may be experiencing some trouble now and a bump in the road now, but if they can just go back and remember that promise they made to receive their mate as a gift from God, it'll help put the whole relationship in the new context that they need. Maybe that's where you are today. You're contemplating marriage. Don't marry just anybody. You need to marry someone you believe God has brought into your life and will bless you and make it, you two a stronger team together. And if you are married, you need to stop for a moment and look past all your problems and your differences and your disagreements and your history. And you need to go back and look at what God did in those early days of bringing the two of you together. And then the second promise you're making, not only to receive your spouse willingly, but to receive your spouse faithfully. Faithfully. We we make that promise in multiple ways when we exchange our wedding vows. We make it whenever we say the words, to be my wedded wife or my wedded husband. Or we make the promise to receive our spouse faithfully when we promise to have and to hold. And we make the promise to receive our spouse faithfully when we say the words, till death do us part. We're promising to each other that as much as depends on me, I'm going to be faithful and this relationship is going to last a lifetime. Now, we can't control what another person does, but we can make a promise for ourselves that I'm going to receive you faithfully, not just now, but every day. I'm not only going to be true to you now before God and these witnesses. I'm going to be true to you when no one is looking. I'm going to be faithful to you. I remember years ago reading the story of, of a lady named uh, Gail 
Urban of Woodbridge, Virginia. She said that she was walking through this little gift shop and she was looking at used trinkets that people were selling and she saw on display this ceramic trinket of a husband and a wife on their wedding day. The wife is in her wedding dress and he's in his tuxedo and their heads are lovingly tilted towards each other. And yet this was on a shelf listed as damaged. And she thought, what's wrong with this? It looks perfect. And so she picked it up and she looked at the bottom and there was a tag that said, wife is coming unglued. And she thought, how true that often is. I can relate to you, honey. I've been there. And sometimes we forget that in our wedding day, what we're actually saying to each other is we will be committed to each other, wedded to each other, and we will cleave to each other. We will hold fast to each other from this day forward. Don't take my word for it. Remember back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we read these words. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Maybe your translation reads, and they will cleave. He will cleave to his wife or be joined to his wife. In the Hebrew, the word debak means to be glued. Elvis Presley had it right. We ought to stick like glue. I'm showing my age now. That's a good song. Uh, so the, the picture of biblical marriage is that God not only brings two people together, but they unite together for life faithfully. God has brought them together physically in meeting each other and getting to know each other. He's brought them together emotionally and he's brought them together spiritually. And then ultimately he brings them together sexually. It says here, and they shall become one flesh. That is a, a beautiful picture of intimacy in marriage between a husband and a wife. And it says, we will be faithful to each other for all of our lives. That's the promise that we're making, is to be faithful. Your, your spouse doesn't just need you in the house. They need you in the relationship. They need you committed to the marriage. They need you committed to them. They don't just need you to be faithful to pay the bills and faithful to take care of the chores and faithful to raise the children. They need you to be faithful to them, to be their wedded spouse, to have and to hold which means you cherish and you protect and you value and you are in it for the long haul. And if you're contemplating marriage and you're not willing to make that lifelong commitment as much as depends on you by the power of God, then don't get married. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 5 says, It's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Better to not make a promise than to make a promise and not keep it. What many people don't know is I was actually engaged once prior to Donna. I was in a relationship, and I look back on it now, and I have no doubt God had meant for me to meet this person. I think we were meant to be friends. But instead of just being friends, it went further than that to the point that we were engaged to be married. And the closer we got to that wedding day, the worse that relationship became. And the more I realized, this is not of God, this is not healthy, it's not right for me, it's not right for her. And I took full responsibility, I should never have asked for her hand in marriage. And she should never have pressured me to ask for her hand in marriage. Because it was a two-way street, I can promise you that. 
My dad took me fishing one day, Bridges Pond, Lake Park, Georgia. I knew my mom and dad were not pleased with this relationship. And you know how it is whenever you've got a teenager or you've got a young person, the more you talk to them about an issue, the more they pull away. And so I think my dad was a wise man. He took me fishing, got me in the middle of Bridges Pond, said, hand me my rod and reel. And then he said, I want to talk to you about your relationship. Oh, no. He said, don't worry. This is not why I brought you out here. I'm going to say my piece and I won't say any more. But I'm going to tell you this. If a couple came to you and they were having the same problems that the two of you were having and they weren't even married yet, whatever advice you would give them about whether or not they should get married, if you're a man of integrity like I think you are, you will take that advice for yourself. My dad knew exactly what I would say to another couple experiencing the kind of problems that she and I were having. I would say to them, you two don't need to get married. And I knew that I had to call that wedding off. And I did. And it was the best thing I ever did because it is better to not make a promise than to make one and not keep it. And when you do make that promise, you're promising to love each other, to hold each other, to cherish each other faithfully. In fact, when you hold fast to your mate, you're agreeing to do at least three things. You're agreeing to stay married the rest of your life. But not just stay married, you're also agreeing to love and cherish one another. And number three, you're agreeing to maintain sexual purity always with one another. Jesus spoke about the faithfulness of the marriage relationship when he was asked about marriage and divorce. We can read it in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. In Matthew 19, verse 3, it says, And Pharisees, these are Jewish religious leaders, came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Verse 4, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? By the way, that should clarify the gender conversation. If you're a follower of Jesus, the biblical revelation as well as science, two genders, male, female. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God says, Jesus says, that was God's ideal from the beginning. He went back to Genesis chapter 2. We know that sin has marred our world and marred our relationships. None of us are perfect. I'm not preaching guilt and condemnation or shame this morning. But I am saying whenever you're asked the question, go back to the original design if you want to know the answer and the ideal that we ought to strive for. Whenever I enter into a public building, whether it's a movie theater or a, or a restaurant or like Casey and Caleb and I did uh, this week we went to the car show downtown at the Prime Osborne. One of the first things I do is I look for exit signs and escape routes. If there's a fire, if there's some emergency, if some person comes in shooting things up, I want to know where to go. I look for an escape route. But when you get married, you don't look for an escape route. You're in it as much as depends on you for life. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. By the way, if you're married to someone who didn't take or doesn't take their marriage vows seriously, God feels your pain. He knows what it's like to be true to people who aren't true to you. God's got a whole book called Hosea that pictures that. 
a man in marriage, faithful to his wife, and she is unfaithful over and over and over to him. And it was a picture of God's faithfulness to his people, Israel. God feels your pain. And Jesus Christ is the glue that holds us together. So in marriage, we're promising to receive our spouse willingly and faithfully. The third promise you're making is you receive your spouse unconditionally. Unconditionally. We say that in these words, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. No matter what happens from this day forward, we are going to be faithful to each other and I'm going to love you unconditionally. I won't just love you when you're young. I'll love you when you're old. I won't just love you when you got money in the bank. I'll love you if we lose everything. I love you not just when it's easy to love you. I'm going to choose to love you when it's not easy. That's what my wife says anyway. I thought I'd just work that into the sermon. I remind her, you took me for better or for worse. She said, you're worse than I took you for, but I still love you. <laughs> you don't know a person until you marry them, right? Uh, and so... We are promising to love each other unconditionally. I won't love you if, I won't love you only if, I love you, period. Unconditionally. Can I tell you one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in my life, other than Jesus Christ being my Lord and my Savior, is knowing that no matter what happens, I have a woman who stands by my side and that I've never questioned her love for me. Never. There have been some times in my life, and I'm thinking of one time specifically, that I had to say, I don't care what happens, I can handle this because I know God is on my side and my wife is on my side. And it gave me such peace and such strength to know that she loved me no matter what. And the reason we love each other unconditionally is because that is a reflection of God's love for us. Isaiah 54 verse 10, I love this passage. For the mountains may depart. And the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God said to his ancient people, Israel, no matter what happens on the political scene, no matter what happens on the world scene, no matter what happens in history, you will never have to question my love. It is unconditional. It will never be moved. It will never change. It will never die. So we receive each other willingly and faithfully and unconditionally. But the fourth promise we're making is to receive your spouse lovingly. We say that with the words, to love and to cherish. Men, you know what our wives need? They need not only the fact that we've said we love them, they need us demonstrating our love for them in practical ways. Men, we know how to love and cherish. I saw it at the car show. I walked in, we were walking around, we, we looked first at the Lincoln dealership and looked at all those new cars, but then we turned the corner and there is a whole cadre of 1960s eras Pontiac GTOs. Man, those things were sweet. It was what, 1968, the Pontiac GTO was Motor Trend's car of the year. It really revolutionized uh, the, the, the muscle car era. It was a beautiful machine, and I watched those guys as they babied their babies and polished them and wanted you to keep your hands off of them. Don't get too close. You can look, but don't get too close. 
We know what it is to love something and to cherish something. Maybe for you it's a bass boat. Maybe for you it's a, a hunting lodge. Maybe for you it's a lake lot or a set of golf clubs. But you know the most precious possession in your life, and I don't mean possess. I mean the greatest thing you have in your life is that relationship with your spouse. And you need to love her and you need to cherish her. And by the way, women, that's exactly what men need to we sometimes think that men don't need to hear that they're admired and they're loved and they're cherished and the wife doesn't need to take the initiative to show that, but it's not true. Men need to be loved and, to ch and be cherished just as much as women do. And that's the promise that we are making to each other to not just be in the relationship, but to pour ourselves into the relationship, to actually express love. And we talked about it last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is not just declared, it's demonstrated. Love is patient, love is kind. You, you go back and read 1 Corinthians 13. You're also making a promise, number five, to receive your spouse dependently. Dependently. The reason I say that is because in the wedding vows, many times we will say, hitherto I pledge my love, or we will say, so help me God, at the end of our wedding vows. So help me God. Now, some of you guys, whenever you say it, you sound like you're in a courtroom. So help me God. <laughs> but whenever we say, so help me God, it really is two things in my mind. The, the phrase, so help me God, is a promise. I'm going to promise to do these things, so help me God. I'm making a promise. But it's more than that. It's a prayer. It's a prayer. So help me God. Because, God, without you, I can't do this. I'm depending on you, God. I've made these promises before you and these witnesses and my sweetheart, but I depend on you to give me the strength that I need to fulfill these vows, to live these vows out. So help me, God. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. Jesus says, make sure your relationship with me is right, and I'll bless you in everything else. But apart from me, if you're trying to ignore me and put me on the sideline, cut me off, you're not going to be successful. You can't do anything without me. You need my help. That's why sometimes married couples will go through bouts of problems, and they'll finally reach out to the church, and they'll say, you know, we haven't been coming, and... You know, we know we ought to. We just haven't. We've been having some problems. That's when you need to be here the most. That's when you need to draw closer to Jesus more than ever. That's whenever you need to read your Bible more than ever. It's when you need to pray together as a couple, if possible, more than ever. Because we're depending on Jesus to help us here. None of us can do this on our own. And then finally, the sixth promise you're making is to receive your spouse daily. That's the phrase, from this day forward. Maybe you've got some regrets and you say, man, I wish I could go back and fix some things. I wish I could be a different person. I wish I could be then who I am now in my relationship with God. Listen, we can't go back. None of us can go back. We've all got regrets, but we can make a promise from this day forward. With God's grace, with God's guidance, I want to be this kind of person in this relationship or in the relationship to come from this day forward. We can make that promise. Maybe today, you need to do your I do. 
You need to practice your promise through Christ's power. How are you going to do that today? What's a tangible way that you can choose to do what you promised to do if you are married? What is one way that you can practice your promise today? And maybe today you should express your gratitude for a specific way your spouse practices their promise to you. For example, maybe you need to say today, honey, thank you for taking such good care of me when I was sick last month. I love you. Or honey, thank you for the way you provide for this family. Or honey, thank you for the way you sacrifice so much for me and the kids. Thank you for doing your I do. So how can you do your part and how can you express gratitude for what they're doing? The most important thing you've heard me say today, however, is practice your promise with Christ's power. Do you know him as your savior? Are you trusting him? Are you letting him pour his power into your life? Do that today. In fact, maybe you need to receive Christ as your savior. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that'll help you do that. And after that prayer, if you have made that commitment to Jesus, I would love to know that. There's two ways you can do that in the room. I stand right here at the front after every service and people come and share with me the commitments or the next steps that they're making and I just love it. I rejoice with them. You don't have to do it in front of the whole crowd where everybody's looking at you, but at the end of our service when everybody else is making their way out, I'll meet you right here at the front. I would love to hear what God's doing in your life. Pastor Matt Sparling is also at the back with some of our volunteers. It's what is your next step area? You'll see it on the wall there. As you make your way out, maybe you're just gonna go that way and tell him, hey man, today I committed my life to Christ. Or today I want to find a, a life group in this church. My wife and I need to be a part of one. Or, or I'm single, but I want to get connected in this church. Go to what is your next step, and we'll help you take whatever that next step is for you to practice what we've talked about today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. There's so much more left unsaid today, and I feel that tension. But God, I pray that you would take what we have heard and seen in your word, and we would apply it to our hearts and minds and relationships but we would do it recognizing we're desperately dependent upon you. Your presence in our lives, your power in our lives to be the person you'd have us to be. So Father, would you help us not to wallow in regret of the past, but to say from this day forward, I'm going to be this kind of person by Christ's power. And I'm going to give glory and honor to him as he helps me. Or if someone's thinking about a relationship, they'll say, by Christ's power, I want to know that I can be this kind of person and make these promises without reservation. And Father, if there's anyone in this room today or someone watching online today who's never received Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that right now, before it's too late, before time is over, that they will say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you today and you alone. You who died for me on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, showed me your unconditional love. I receive you into my life. Father, I thank you for whoever it is that's going to make that commitment to trust Christ today. A husband or a wife, a mom or a dad, a young person or a senior adult. God, help them to make that commitment to trust Christ today because he's the one who said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.